Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women, 70 to 100 plus, who shatter the myth that women become irrelevant as we age. We appreciate your support. Join the Aging Reimagined Circle at womenover70.com. Promote your book in Books by Women and invite us to speak to your organization. And today we're very happy to be talking with Donna Chaco, who's 73 years old. She's a retired physician who lives in Washington, D.C. And for 20 years, Donna practiced radiation oncology. When widowed at age 48, Donna changed her specialty to family medicine to to be, as she says, more of a whole doctor, which involved completing a three-year residency at the age of 54. She practiced medicine in the inner city, Washington, D.C., until feeling burned out, she retired at age 64. Donna reflects that she has come to understand health in a much richer and broader way than earlier in my career. She created a new path by starting a ministry called Serenity and Health to promote health of mind, body, and spirit. Donna also published a book in 2021, Pilgrimage, A Doctor's Healing Journey, that has been noted as both memoir and instruction. So welcome, Donna, to Women Over 70. Well, thank you so much. I'm really, really have been looking forward to uh, being here with you. Thank you. We have too. Uh, Well, let's just, if you could give us a brief glimpse into your professional career before you retired almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I I sort of rushed through college. I I had decided to become a doctor uh, around a senior in high school, accidentally, kind of. And I never graduated college, actually. I went three years and started um, medical school and then completed medical school when I was 25. Uh, I married before medical school. Um, I then practiced radiation oncology for 20 years, uh, most of that time in Florida. And that's where I then retrained in family medicine. And after completing that training, moved to Washington, D.C. to uh, work with immigrants and homeless. So that's the brief rundown of my professional (laughs) life. (laughs) Uh, when you moved to so when you moved to Washington, your your husband had already died at that point. Yes, right? yes, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. And it was when I was in Washington that I remarried. So I am currently married again. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what was so? What prompted you to to switch from radiation oncology? where as I was reading your, your book, um, very few emergencies, you didn't have, uh, you didn't have to work weekends and, and you had uh, vacation <laughs> time to, to going into this, you know, very different um, path of family medicine in the inner city. Why, why make that move? Yeah, that, that was a very big change. Um, I'm always quick to say that I loved practicing radiation oncology because of the, you really connect in a really meaningful way to patients. And it was medicine in a, a better era where there was, I had plenty of time with patients. It was a, really a wonderful way to practice medicine. There were no um, referrals and um, authorizations and, and all of that. 
But the reason I changed was complicated, really. Uh, the, the main thing is I wanted to have some freedom and feel like I was a real doctor and maybe I could volunteer. My, my husband had died. We were, you know, I was in a pretty good place financially. Um, and there were issues with um, the small department where I worked. I kind of had the feeling that the, the hospital may not be able to manage updating the equipment. And I, I could just see uh, handwriting on the wall that I was going to have to make some change or another. So I decided, well, if I'm going to make a change, let me make a change that will give me flexibility to do what I want, go where I want, maybe volunteer or go on mission trips or something like that. Hmm. And then um, at, the, at some point you began to feel burned out. Is that is that correct? Well, yes. You know, fat, practicing family medicine was way, way, way harder than um, what I was accustomed to it, it, as a change. You know, to make a change in middle age and go from a, a specialty, I was a competent mm -hmm. specialist, right? Mm -hmm. And I went to being a very an inexperienced <laughs> generalist trying to keep track of so many things. And um, when I worked in Washington, I faced... Um, health crises of a nature I had never been exposed to the, the poverty and the stresses that people lived under working. Um, I, I worked in a um, medical facility for homeless people, a recovery program, like after hospitalization or with mm -hmm. serious illness, but not serious enough that they could get into a hospital, but they had no place to go. So they would come to Christ house mm -hmm. and a clinic with uh, immigrants and it was um, predominantly a Spanish-speaking population, and my Spanish was not good at all. <laughs> so there were these other stresses that um, that I hadn't dealt with before. Um, but it gave me such a different view of health, um, mm -hmm. just understanding how, you know, it's not you're not healthy just because you don't have diseases. You know, it's not just the absence of diseases. These, these people's lives were just so complex, um, mm -hmm. starting with, you know, childhood stresses and lifetime poverty and um, borderline homelessness and, and food insecurity and things like that, limited educational opportunities. And they were not healthy and they had so many things wrong with them. And it was just kind of it really enlightening to see all that. And, and then in my own personal life, I, my first marriage was very, very difficult. And so I, I dealt with, you know, an emotional kind of suffering that really contributes to bad health, at least, or feeling terrible, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, that's where my view on what is health broadened. And, and simultaneously with all of that, I had spent a lot more time and effort on my relationship with God and my spiritual journey, because my marriage took my first marriage was, you know, reached a point of crisis really. And it, it took me back to my childhood faith, took me to my knees and trying to figure out what it was all about. And so by the time I left my practice in Washington, DC, I had this broader view of like, wow, uh, I, I, I came to believe based on my own experience and what I had seen that for people who did have a faith that they could use that 
as a, a foundation for, for like an abundant health, I call it, of body, mind, and spirit, you know, where you mm-hmm. trust God and you try and you participate in a community and you have goals and you have guidelines and you have someone to go to when things get messed up, which they tend to do. And that, that's kind of where the whole message of serenity and health um, came about, the, the, the organization, kind of an organization, I guess you would call it, that I started after I retired. And tell us, can you t- tell us more about, about your ministry, the okay. Serenity and Health? Okay. Well, so after I retired, as I said, I was kind of burned out. I wasn't really feeling very well. I wasn't walking well, which has been a huge deal. And I ended up with a hip replacement. By the time I finally got myself feeling a little bit better, I realized I didn't really want to retire. I didn't really want to stop being a doctor. I, got a, I really okay. liked being a doctor, right? Uh, and and now I thought I had a better message. Uh, uh, my my health message was I understood more, right? So I decided I would just do these programs starting out at my church, and I called it Serenity and Health. And and it was talking about all things that we each can do to make ourselves have more abundant health. Things you know, like um, recognizing that our bodies and our um, health is a gift, you know, and we, we're stewards of this. And so our faith re- asks us to take care of it, to cherish our health. And that means working on our habits, for example. But um, it also means trying to find a, a, you know, a balance in your life and a, a peace, a peace of mind an acceptance. Um, I learned a lot from this one ministry that's called um, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And uh, the book by the first author, the title is you, the subtitle is you, you know, you can't be emotionally, spiritually happy if you're not emotionally mature, I think is Mm -hmm. the language. And, um, you know, it involved understanding stress and the effects of stress, stress reduction, mindfulness, and incorporating all those things into, um, faith practices, prayer practices that can bring, you know, we don't, I don't say my prayers and do my Christian meditation. So, so I can be healthy and all, but the, 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 uh, I call it a collateral benefit really is it does give peace of mind. And, um, my, I think my brain finally started to slow down just a little bit from being constantly, constantly on overdrive, which was really one of my big problems for many, many years, uh, kind of mindless overdrive. Um, as I was reading, um, beginning to read your book, Pilgrimage, A Doctor's Healing Journey, uh, you talked about living, uh, basic for many years, kind of living in two worlds. You had your work world, where you where you felt competent, and it, um, I think you referred to it as an oasis at one point. And then there was your family life, which was, sounds like it was uh, incredibly stressful. And um, so I'm wondering why in your book that you are so you are so candid about uh, what was going on in those years. And I'm just curious about why is it in why was it important for you to to tell that part of the, of your story? Well, Catherine, that's a good question. And originally, well, I spent two and a half years writing my book as a self help book with very little story, and I wasn't going to share all that. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so for the listeners to know, by the time I'm writing my book, it had been 20 years since my first husband had died. So it wasn't recently. So that helped me a little bit. But the 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 evolution was that as I was writing my book, I I I two two things happened. Number one, I realized the book wasn't very compelling. I didn't know anybody would want to read it. It kind of was more informational. Mm-hmm. And um you know, the 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 truth is I was reading another book um which was sort of a hybrid self-help um memoir kind of book and i realized the only reason i kept reading was all the story the personal story the details it wasn't the the information and i thought well i hope people read my book i maybe it needs more story but then when i really dove in and tried to understand what it was i was going to write that's when it got complicated and that's when i ended up going through my diaries i ended up seeing a psychotherapist for the first time mm-hmm. in my life and that's when i really understood how my contributions to our difficult marriage and some of these um, imprints from my childhood that just, they weren't bad things like this, this drive to work all the time. That wasn't a bad thing, except that if it's not balanced and if, if you do it just because you feel compelled and you have to, and you, you're, you don't, you, you know, keep a balance with home responsibilities and things like that. I don't know. It was quite uh, an, fascinating difficult process to to finish that book and write it but i know that it helped me i think it probably helped my daughters um maybe uh i think it did and hopefully it'll help other people (laughs) i was going to ask you about your daughters because you have three daughters yes and uh, i am curious about their reaction to your book well uh two of them have been one thousand percent for it no matter what i write and the other one has had some concerns about it, especially talking about her father. And that's been mm-hmm. a little hard. Uh, she gave me some input early on, which I really appreciated. It was difficult for the girls to to read this. It kind of stirred up the pot. You know, just imagine mm-hmm. we just stirred up all the mud that had kind of mm-hmm. went mm-hmm. to the bottom of the pot. Mm-hmm. And then we then I stirred it all up with the book. Um, but, you know, I, I still think all in all, it was a good thing to do, a healthy thing. Were there surprises in the book for your daughters, Donna? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think so. I, 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 you know, with the the interesting thing about a book like this is their experience was entirely different than my experience, right? Obviously, so. What I wrote was very different than their experience, but the general idea, of course, they lived through it. So they, they knew Mm -hmm. from their perspective. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So one of your, one of the reviewers of your book said that it was both memoir and instruction. So that now it makes more sense to me about, because as you started out with it being a self-help book, more informational, instructional. And then it really became a memoir right. with lessons embedded. Right. Um, so, can you t- tell us a little bit more about about just how the, the structure of the book, what what, what kinds, okay, how, the flow. Okay, the final version, which is um, 
considered, I was told it's, you could put it in the category of a, of, um, um, spiritual memoir or a, a prescription, prescriptional memoir. And the, it has three parts. And the first part is called The Pit. And it's just telling my early years, concentrating on the difficult years in the marriage. And uh, it ending with the my life crisis, the turning point in my life really was when I just uh, kind of felt like I had had to give up. I couldn't fix myself. I didn't know. I didn't think I needed fixed. I guess I couldn't fix my husband. I couldn't change the circumstances. I didn't want a divorce. I didn't know what to do. So at that point, that is what drove me to my knees and back to God, back to my faith. And uh, it led me to the decision to stay married. And that was the end of part one. And part two is called climbing out. And it does not start the way you would think it would start because um, after I made that decision to stay married, um, our family life did ease. Things got a bit better. You know, you know, you don't have that sword hanging you over to discuss every other day, whether you're going to get a divorce <laughs> or not, because you decided you're not going to. But then we had a series of health, major health issues with two of the girls and with my husband and then his condition worsened, and by a, a few years after um, the end of part one, uh, he died of leukemia. He so, died. I'm sorry. Say that again. Yeah, he died. Yes, he died of leukemia. Of oh, leukemia. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that was more learning to go through that whole experience. And actually, the the six weeks of hospice, home hospice. Uh, it was summer. The girls were all home. It was a, a a period I'm grateful for, a, a really grateful for, uh, of some healing for our family. Uh-huh. So, and it was after all that that I made the change to go into radiation oncology. Oh, okay. That I mean, to um, family medicine. Family, family medicine, me. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, by that time, when my first husband died. Um, my, I only had one daughter at home and she was uh, a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. So soon thereafter, they, they were all out of the house. You you know, you describe yourself in, again, in your book and the first part as in terms of your um, family life of either shouting or cowering (laughs) and uh, not just really not knowing how to express yourself or not, not, not you and your husband not knowing how to have those those essential but very difficult conversations, and and I'm just curious. You remarried, and uh, what if what lessons have you brought to your your um, your marriage relationship now? Oh, many. Uh, because the the biggest is the the eventual understanding I reached that I was had been unable early on in the relationship with my first husband to, to state my truth, to be honest Mm -hmm. from the very day he asked me to marry him. And I said, yes. And it was six weeks after we met. And I knew I didn't want to commit that early, but I was unable to say like, Oh, why don't honey, I think I love you. Let's just wait a year. You know, Mm -hmm. that was so far beyond me. 
And then I continued that pattern of not speaking up, avoiding conflict, confrontation. Uh, I don't know, trying to be the nice little girl. I have no idea. Things I learned in childhood from our parents, we had good parents, not perfect, just like uh, we were not perfect, <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, you know, you learn things. Uh, so that's the, the, the biggest thing with my current husband. And it's still not easy for me to, 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 you know, to try and speak up and be direct. He laughs at me when I say, say that because he thinks I'm very direct. <laughs> but but uh, I, I have come a long way. And the, the other thing, I'm not, I'm not sure you could say I've learned it, but what, what helps our relationship tremendously is that he and I are both Catholics. In fact, I met him in a church. And so we can share the, this foundational thing, which is our faith, which kind of guides our life and our decisions. And mm. it's kind of like we always have a, a, a final arbitrator if there's any issues, <laughs> you know, oh. and it's not him and it's not me. So that's a big help as well. Your, um, your first husband was East, East Indian, correct? Uh-huh. So you yes. had some cultural differences uh, yes. that to deal with also in terms yes. of the the role of the of the of women I, I i had to it didn't it wasn't funny but i had just got my attention when you said in your book that you did the women the role of the women was to do everything to do with the house and the children and the men um took care of the finances and made the decisions basically <laughs> yeah that's kind of how so, it was well i think many of us are familiar with that yeah. um, <laughs> regardless of cultural background (laughs) um what uh how do you think about your is there anything else you would like to say about about your not just the book but just how you kind of your your worldview now and and how you um kind of your philosophy of how you live your life well i'm you know i'm grateful that i i had my career and i'm i'm very um also grateful that i i have a better understanding of health and that I can link my faith to my health and my, my life journey, you know, and it's been very gratifying to be able to um, share that with others in some of the programs I do or my blog, things I write. And um, so it's kind of like a package deal kind of all fits together, Mm -hmm. which, which makes, which helps me personally a a great deal to kind of get a handle on life. Mm -hmm. And, and you practice, you're a practicing Catholic. Yes. As is your husband. But when you, when you blog and you write about faith, how, how your health is linked with faith, are you talking specifically about being Catholic or is it, do you have a broader? Well, that's reading? a really, really important question. When I started writing my book, I, I wanted to write it just a spiritual book. I didn't want to narrow. I, I I have a broad view of the way I think about faith and other, and it is very inclusive of other people's beliefs. And our God is a big God with a big umbrella. And I'm a Catholic, but I like to respect and include everybody else. The uh, editors and writers I talked with early, early on said uh, that that would be a huge mistake to just make it like spiritual and nebulous out there, you know, just be authentic as to who you are when you write your book. So that's why my book talks about my own faith as Christian. But I, I, even in my book, I try to make it clear that 
um, my message is for people who believe in a God or a higher power, but doesn't have to be my God. Mm-hmm. And um, did that answer your question? Yes. But, oh, yeah. but in my blogs and things like that, I, I, well, I suppose they, I follow a similar type of philosophy. Sometimes my Christian views are evident and other times they're just, it's very general topics mm-hmm. having to do with say communication or respect, or mm-hmm. how do we deal with these crazy divisions that are everywhere making life and relationships complicated. True. Mm-hmm. Where, where can we find your blogs? So uh, my blog is on my website, which is serenity and health dot com so three words the and written out serenity and health.com and uh, the blog is on there okay mm-hmm. and where is your book available donna um the book is available at barnes and noble and amazon and there's a, a a tab on my website with all the information about my book and uh you get a free chapter if you like to read it and see mm-hmm. if you like it mm-hmm. <laughs> so nice yeah. So what next for you? What What is life uh, now that your book is out and it's been out for about a year? Yeah. What uh, What What engages you now? Well, what I'm. I feel yes. like I'm. Yeah, I'm in a, a transition point uh, a little bit as I find my way after getting through the book and the launch, and I'm I'm debating writing a second book. I haven't 100 decided. I haven't started. I have a general idea. But in the meanwhile, I'm just um, working on programs like some of the neighboring churches and writing my blogs and doing these podcasts. And I I started playing the piano again, uh, which has been great fun. And my um, husband's going to retire at the end of the year. And I'm uh, trying to figure out how that's going to affect um my life because I've been fairly busy. It was kind of convenient that he was working mm-hmm. and I was working. So I don't know. We'll see, but I really enjoy what I do. So I, I first, so I will definitely be continuing uh, at least some of it for a, a long time. I hope. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, do you, how do you think about aging? If, if you do, you know what I think about aging, that the critical part about aging is that, that, um, that, that, to maintain enough health to be as functionally sound as possible for as long as possible to need less help and be less dependent on others. So when I think about um, aging, I mean, staying physically active and eating right. These things are just huge. And and, um, on top of that, to have some purpose and meaning to get out of bed every day and do something that makes a difference or, mm-hmm. you know, have people to love and somebody to love you and something that you're called to do that might make a difference in the world. I mean, those are the things that, and as you all know, from what you do from, from this podcast, making mm-hmm. a difference, it just, it's a, uh, it makes life wonderful and you want more of it, but it's not that I'm, I'm, want a whole bunch of years, I, I'm going to have as many years as God gives me, but I do have significant power, not control, but some power mm. over my health and function during the years um, that I have. I'm, I'm going to do the, at least the best I can to mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah, good. <laughs> Gail, do you have any other questions or comments? No, I've just been fascinated by listening to you, Donna. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, you all have, I, I was listening to some of your um, other guests and it's, uh, it's, you can get a lot of ideas um, and inspiration from, from listening to the interviews. It's really fun. A lot of good things that women are doing, right? Yes, yes, sure. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And listeners, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and leave a review. Visit our website, womenover70.com, to access all of our episodes and easily search by name or category. Join us the first Tuesday of each month to enjoy programming beyond the podcast, hosted by Aging Reimagined Circle. Membership information is on our website, womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.